Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 106 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And we got a lot to talk about in this episode because, as you know, the matches come fast and they come furious. And there is no rest for the weary and there is no time for pity, no time for feeling sorry for ourselves. Uh, Benfica. Dropping more points last Friday at home to Vitória Guimarães and now sit 11 points behind Sporting Club de Portugal. That's because earlier tonight, Sporting were victorious in a ridiculous come-from-behind, uh, miraculous comeback, if I may say, with two goals from the unlikeliest of sources in Sebastian Coates. Uh, you don't expect your center back to get two goals in, in the dying minutes of the match and s- completely steal three points, which is what Sporting has done. And when Ruben Amorim talks about the Strelinha, he he's not kidding. There is a, a lot of luck around that team. Yes, they've played brilliant football at times. Yes, they've been the most consistent and the best team in Portugal this year. But they have also been incredibly lucky at times. And, um, well... We have no one to blame but ourselves, to be honest, because I said this in the last podcast. Even if we drop a point, you know, even if we take that result against Porto and the result against Sporting, that's only four points lost. Had we taken care of business and done our job against everyone else, we'd be sitting pretty right now. We'd be in good. We'd be in a good position. We'd be right there with Sporting. Even though we lost to them, we would be right there with them. I believe if my math serves me correctly, that would have us only one point behind them. Despite, despite uh, 
we would have so we would have dropped three, four. We would have dropped four points. They've dropped three. That means we'd have been one point behind them, and um, maybe that's a little bit too asking too much. But you know, if we had won, if we had won three of those of those four draws, you know, we'd be looking we'd be looking really good right now. But we're not. The fact of the matter is, we have not performed. The fact of the matter is, this team is not built well. I'm gonna continue to say that. Okay, that's not an excuse because it's still built well enough for this league, but. As I'm gonna get into, probably gonna get into a rant in this opening segment um, because there is something I have to speak on, and I'll be honest with you, I recorded about a half hour segment already on this, but the sound quality was so bad that I have to do it over. All right, so I don't know how much, uh, I don't know if I'll be as impassioned as I get into it, but we'll wait and see. But um, we'll get to that in just a moment. So uh, we just we sit. We sit 11 points behind Spartan Club Portugal right now, despite beating Famalicão on Monday. And um, even in that match, that was a match that really felt um, empty, to be honest with you. It felt... uh, You get that feeling of too little, too late already in the middle of the season. And while it's not too late, so to speak, uh, there's still a lot to play for. There's the Taça de Portugal. There's the Europa League, which we have news on the Europa League uh, in the news segment coming up. Um... And there's, you know, we have to get second place. I mean, yes, if you read my tweets, I said we were going to be fighting for fifth place with Pastor Fajeda. And um, embarrassingly, the European glory that LFV promised maybe is coming in the form of the third tier UEFA Europa Conference that will debut next season. But um, honestly, Benfica have to regroup and they have to at the very least, get themselves into second place, which will get them into the group stage of the UEFA Champions League next season. Nicolas Otamendi uh, spoke on this after receiving his Man of the Match award once again on Monday. Um, how how quickly things turned around for Nicolas Otamendi, and nobody is happier about that than I. I, I you can go back uh, and listen to the early episodes. I was a, a defender of of signing him when we signed him. I was on board. I saw what what the potential was there, and I'm happy to say that he has lived up to it recently. Um, it just took a match against Porto to bring it out of him. But ever since that Super Cup, Nicolas Otamendi has been on another level, and. Um, with the arrival of another central defender, I do hope that JJ gives another another shot at that three-man uh, backline with, with with Lucas Verissimo in the center. He's the quicker guy. Leave him in the center with with Nicolas Otamendi to his right, Jan Vertonghen to his left, and Julian Weigel in front of him. I think that's a formidable defense, and I think uh, that will give us the best chance of of getting as many points as possible here in the second half of the season. But we'll see what J.J. decides to do. I mean, um, J.J. is also somebody who's frustrated me a lot this season. Um, I thought he managed a good match at Porto, and other than that, it has not been good. And um, I don't put any blame on João de Deus for for his stint um, running the show. He did what he could. There's only so much you could do. The boss was still watching and still telling him what to do. There's no question about it. And uh, he has no choice but to be... Uh, subordinate to his to his head manager, so um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take those couple of matches and make it as any kind of judgment on João de Deus. Um, who knows what kind of manager he can be on his own? Um, it's very hard to judge that when when somebody's in an interim position, and not even an interim when somebody's a caretaker because the manager is out for a short time. 
So that is that on 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 that topic. That's that's what I have to say. However, um, I do want to say that you know, Nicholas Otamendi, what he said was that this team is going through a tough time right now, and he says that they have to change their. He used the word mentalidad, mentality, and I like that. I like that. See, I hate Porto so much, but this guy, from having been there, understands what it takes to be a winner, and it looks like. He's finally comfortable being a leader in this team and trying to bring that out of guys. Jan Vertonghen's a winner, too. I know he didn't win any silverware at Tottenham. Before that, he won a ton at Ajax, okay? And he is the captain of one of the best national teams in the world, the Belgian national team right now, okay? And Ulian Weigel has found his has found his stride, and I think he's found his role, and he's really now starting to develop into the six that JJ wanted. I think he is, at least. Um, he's getting the minutes, and with with every match, he looks better and he looks more confident. He's still making a couple of mistakes here and there, but by far the best that we've had in that position all season. Um, so I'm hoping that with those three, you know, we can start to build out from there. And ideally, you don't do this in the middle of the season. This is within the first month you figure this out and you start to build out of your backline. But you know, it's not a good sign, guys, when your central defenders and your defensive midfielder match after match. Now we're going on, what, six, seven matches in a row now where those three are the three best on the field. That That's a problem. That is a problem. PZ has lost form a little bit. You know, you moved his position around. He played well at the Dergo. He played well at the Dergo. Since then, he's had a he, he's had trouble adjusting. He's played on the right. He's played in the center. He's played as a second forward. And when you start to do that too much with players, it gets very difficult, and they lose their rhythm. Okay, it's not that he's not playing hard. It's not that he doesn't want to be as good as he was, but it's it's that rhythm and that consistency that he's lost, and now he's searching for it. And uh, we saw him. Unfortunately, uh, dropped to the bench in this last match, and you know how I feel about his replacement in midfield, and I'm not going to say any more on that because I will not turn this into the Adele Tarapt bash hour. Okay, you know how I feel about him. He he gives you what he what he gives you, and for whatever reason, JJ continues to to opt for that versus guys who have produced goals and assists okay yes he gets an assist against Fumley come if you want to count that I count that as an assist doesn't go in the record book as one but he has a shot that forces a rebound that leads to a goal I count that as an assist okay he's got two now congratulations okay but it is what it is I'm not gonna sit here and bash the guy he plays for our club he wears our jersey uh and the manager puts him on the pitch okay I'm not going to root against our team because I don't like a player or I'm not going to root for a player to play poorly so that he gets benched. If that that's the players that are out there are the players I support. And it's not it's getting very hard to support this team because they do a lot of things that, in, that irritate the supporter. Um you know, again, they came out hard in this in this Fumley Co match. Um JJ returns to the s- sideline and I think that's the sole reason they gave 15 solid minutes to start the match. They found two goals. And um, Fumley Co unprepared for the match. It was it was obvious uh, to give up two goals in that that quick succession, going against a team you know that is struggling and a team that uh, you know the longer they go without scoring, the more they struggle. And anyone that's watched Benfica this season, they finish poorly. Okay, this this is becoming the reoccurring story of the season. 
is that we can start strong, but it, we are always holding on for dear life, whether we're in the lead or whether we're tied or even if we're losing. We struggle to get to the finish line of every match. We do not have a squad to play 90 minutes. There's reasons for that. Um, you know, fitness is only one of them. Uh, personnel is another reason. We have... It, it, I'm just not going to get into that right now because I'd be talking here all night to you about that. But there's a lot of reasons why we can't play a full match or why we look so poor at the end of the match. And the club and the manager are going to talk about not having enough practice time. Well, I, I'm sorry. These are professional world-class athletes. Many of them are internationals. They play for their national teams up and down this roster. That That's not good enough for me. Okay, That's not good enough. That's not enough of an explanation. All right. Porto, they're struggling too, but they're playing hard and they're finishing hard. And I don't want to be anything like them. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be anything like them. But there's no excuse. They're not dying in the in the in the, and I say that on the week where they drop two points in the last what five minutes of the match to Braga. But typically speaking, they're finishing. You know, going after the result or controlling the result. We saw Sporting tonight uh, pick up three points in Barcelos. Uh, they stole them like, uh, you know, they stole those points in the dying minutes. And it's, <laughs> you know, they they finish strong against us. They finish strong. They have this knack for scoring late. Our team has no gas left at the end of the match to score late. If we don't score early, we are screwed. That has been what has played out over the last three months for the most part. Okay, with a couple of exceptions here and there. But especially recently, if we do not score late, we are screwed. And, you know, it's it, like I said, it's getting frustrating. And this this show is becoming less and less enjoyable to, to do. I'll be frankly honest with you. But, you know, it, it just seems like all of us that watch this and all of us that follow this team can see these, these issues Yet the people in charge do not make the necessary changes. The people in charge do not make the decisions that the club needs to be made in order to better the product on the pitch. It seems to be like the last priority is the on-the-pitch product. It's all about the spreadsheet. It's all about, you know, the. it's all about uh, money and it's all about who we can sell it's all about you know and, and i'm getting really sick of it okay and that's gonna bring me now before i get into this we will obviously talk about the vitari given match we'll talk about the family cow match we've got news tonight okay and um there is news involving the europa league as well that'll come up in the news segment before we get to that this is what i need to clear the air on this is what i need to get off my chest this is my platform and i'm going to say this okay because i'm sure many of you saw it if you're listening to this show i'm sure you are aware of rui costa's interview on btv which was nothing more than a publicity stunt nothing more than a pr i don't want to say whitewashing but a pr band-aid on the problems going on in the club and I'm going to get a little emotional about this because you're talking about my childhood hero here, Rui Costa. Okay? When I was a kid, when I played footy, whether I was in my yard, whether I was at the park, whether I was playing in an official match, whether I was wearing the number 10 like I wanted to or I was wearing the number 82 like they gave me sometimes, I wanted to be Rui Costa. 
in 1994, 11-year-old me was devastated when Rui Costa left Benfica. Mind you, at this time, a Benfica I had only seen on television once or twice. For the most part, I only knew Rui Costa from the radio. Rui Costa goes to Fiorentina. I tune into the Italian League highlights week after week after week, or I'd record them on my VCR waiting for the Fiorentina highlights to watch Rui Costa set up Gabriel Batistuta or watch Rui Costa score his own goals, watch him play alongside Stefan Schwartz, who also was from Befica, when the Portuguese national team would play and they were on TV on RTP. I would, I would record all the games and I would watch Rui Costa play for Portugal. When he was yellow carded, sorry, sent off, second yellow, for coming off the pitch too slow in 1997. 14-year-old me was watching as Portugal's World Cup dreams went up in smoke because of a bad referee giving him a second yellow card for coming off the field too slowly. He comes off the field too slowly for Portugal. Germany end up tying the match. Germany go to the World Cup. Portugal don't. It's a little more complicated than that. But at the end of the day, Germany go to the World Cup. Portugal don't. Portugal winning 1-0 in Germany on that, in that match. Rui Costa sees the second yellow. He's off. The substitution doesn't happen because he's sent off. 10-man Portugal end up giving up the equalizer. I remember it. Oliver Bierhoff, if I'm not mistaken. Oliver Bierhoff broke my heart. Rui Costa was the villain. And that that hurt me. Rui Costa plays fantastic in Euro 2000. Rui Costa plays, you know, has that goal against England in Euro 2004. We're not going to talk about World Cup 20, 2002, of course. But he returns to Benfica. The long story short, this is the player I idolized growing up. This is the player I wanted to be like. Not Luis Figo, with all due respect. Not Ronaldo Fenomeno. Not Zinedine Zidane, who I had a high, high, high opinion of. No, no. I wanted to be Rui Costa. Because he was from Benfica. He was from my club. And he wore my number and played my position. He was everything I wanted to be as a footballer. And when he came back to the club, I was an adult already. I don't know, I'm 23, something like that, 24. When he comes back to Benfica, what was it, after the World Cup 2006, I think. He comes back to Benfica. I would have been 23. And listen, 2007. I'm in Lisbon. I'm in the Stadio de Luz in a stupid Champions League preliminary match because of how bad our team was at the time. We went in, and I believe this is when Portugal got three teams. We were the third, so we went into the prelims, and we played Copenhagen, and I watched Rui Costa score two goals on Copenhagen and went crazy, you know, up in the upper balcony as he scored those two goals in that, that first leg against Copenhagen. August of 2007. I remember it vividly. I threw my shirt off as he scored his second goal in Befica. Avoided the embarrassment of not even winning the home leg against Copenhagen. Befica avoided the embarrassment thanks to a long-range goal from Rui Costa. 
I throw my shirt off and I raise it in the air and I hold it up. You remember when Messi scored and he took his shirt off and held it up? That's what I did from the top of the, the Stadio de Luz. I held it up. And for the rest of that game, I wore that shirt backwards with the number 10 and the Rui Costa across my chest. This was my guy. This was my guy. And now, I see him reduced to nothing but a mere puppet. I see him reduced to nothing but a damn politician. And I hate politicians. I don't like politicians. I don't like politics. I don't care if they're on the right or on the left. I don't like them. They're no good. They're sleazy. And Rui Costa is becoming just like them. Maybe not personally, but professionally, he's becoming just like them. Why? Because he knows, or at least he believes, and we are being led to believe that he is the heir apparent, that he is the next in line. Well, this isn't a damn monarchy. Benfica are not a monarchy. They are a democracy. And Rui Costa is going to ruin his name, his legacy, his image with this club because he's so closely associated with that no good Luis Felipe Vieira. That interview was nothing but rubbish. He made it. He towed the company line straight through. He he echoed the president's message. There's no question. Those were not even his own thoughts. Get out of here. Don't don't tell me that those are even his own thoughts. He he echoed the same nonsense we've been hearing from that regime for what five, six, seven years now since they've done anything productive. What he's doing is very obvious to anyone who has any any acknowledgement, who knows how politics works. He sees that two-thirds majority that we talk about, which I'm pretty sure none of you, none of them are listening to me. I'm pretty sure if any of them stumbled upon this, they've uh, they've gone away by now. But he, he knows that two-thirds majority. He wants to retain that majority, and he wants to attach himself to this president, this president who he owes everything to in terms of an administrative career. Remember, Luis Felipe Vieta brought him back from, from AC Milan. It was not João Valles Vid who promised to and never did. It was Luis Felipe Vieta who brought him back and... You know, he retired. He came back. This is a guy who came back and played practically for free for Benfica for those last two seasons of his career. Okay, that's what it meant to him. And now look. Look at what has happened. This is why term limits, whether it's in politics or in sports or in any kind of administration, need to be enforced because the system has taken over him. He's become one of them. Whether he meant to or not, whether it's intentional or not, he has become one of them. And I, I'd i like to believe it, it's his power play, hoping to get the presidency so that he can make real change. But here's the problem, Rui Costa. Nobody believes in you anymore. I may be a fool to still hold, hold out hope that if you ever do get to that seat, you're going to change things around. But honestly, you know... The independent thinkers of Mefica, the one third for sure, the one third that didn't, that you know, the one third that didn't support you, they're still calling for Noronha Lopes. You run against Noronha Lopes, and you got yourself a fight. Cause you know what? Not to not to sound ageist. I'm not trying to discriminate against older people, but the Vieta base. Okay, in four years, a good chunk of them are gonna be dead. A good chunk of them are gonna be dead. And the Noronha base, if he runs again, or whoever runs as the opposition, is going to be wider. And if you think you're just 
by 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 not making any waves and just by being the president's right hand man, you're going to keep that majority and they're going to put you into the presidency? Well, you might have a harsh reality come four years from now. And I don't want to... I'm really angry that this man and this, this player's image, legacy, story is being ruined before our eyes because of his association to this no-good president. Yeah, Luis Fibieta had his day. I know he did good things in the past. I've said that before, but you know what? You know what? Hui Kosho was a good footballer in the past. Are you going to put him on the pitch today? Obviously not. So why are we still living in the past? Why are Befikistas, or at least the majority of them, so afraid of a change that because Luis Felipeeta came and won a couple of titles, what, five, six titles in 18 years, that that's good enough? This is, this is Befika, damn it. This isn't, we're not Sporting Braga with all due respect. We're not Vitori Guimarães with all due respect. We're not even, you know, we're not Fiorentina. We're not, we're not one of those. We're not a mid-table side that gets happy with winning a couple of titles. We are Benfica. We own Portugal. Maior que Portugal. We are bigger than Portugal. We should be in that title race each and every season. I understand you can't win them all, but we should never be 11 points from the lead. 11 points from Sporting of all teams. With all due respect, again, they built themselves a nice little team, but we spent $100 million on what? What more do you expect? I mean, this team was built not to win this Liga title. This team was built to win that stupid election. And again, I hate politics. I don't like politicians because they do crap like this. It's not about Benfica. It was about winning the stupid election. Because if it was about Benfica, this president and his entire board, his entire slate would have stepped down by now. It's not about Benfica. And unfortunately, that slate includes my boy Rui Costa, my idol. And I can feel the Benficistas do not like him anymore. He's become very unpopular. Can he turn that around? Of course. But things got to start changing. Things got to start changing. We built a team that was not built for this season. And I don't want to hear about COVID anymore. I'm sick of hearing about COVID. I'm sick of hearing the excuses that there's no fans in the stands. No one else has that either. And when COVID came through our locker room and ravaged our team, yeah, we we four matches without a win. Why were we not prepared for that to happen? Why was this team not built and reinforced for that to happen? Why do we have a third choice right back as our starting right back? With all due respect again to Gilberto, I don't blame him. It's not his fault. He was brought in to be a second or third right back and he's had to play every match. We go into a cup semifinal with an all-new defense because because COVID comes in. I, I get it. But we don't have ample backups. We have five central defenders and no backup right or left back. Come on now. Not to mention we offload the young central defenders and keep the old guy who gets hurt 10 minutes into the next match. I love Jardel, but time, you know, time has come and gone. 
they should have come to a agreement for his release at the end of last season. I understand he was important to the locker room, and you can't keep getting rid of the locker room, the locker room references. But if he's kept for that, he should not be an option on the pitch. He should not even be the fifth central, or maybe he should be the fifth central defender and not the third. Lucas Verissimo was coming in, but does you know we sent two away? So if something happens, we still have you know just Jardel. This team is built poorly. End of story. Yes, they've played bad. Yes, they've been they're built good enough to deal with this league. And if they hadn't have pissed away the points they pissed away earlier in the season, we might have done better in that in that in those four matches where we were you know in you know where, where COVID came through and ravaged the entire team. That's true. Who is making these decisions? A transfer window comes and goes, and we bring in one player, a center back, of which I said we have five. Yes, we we had already come to terms with him a long time ago, and he's welcome. And I actually hope that George Zouch tries the three the three man backline once again with him here. Again, of course, the problem is the only backup is Jardel, but you know, which makes that difficult because I'm not I'm not taking Nicolas Altamendi out of this team for anything for anyone right now. Jan Vertonghen lights out as well. This defense is finally keeping the ball out of our goal. Finally getting clean sheets. Don't go screwing it up now by changing up the defense. Or at least taking one of those two guys out. Okay? That's, I think we're built. We have the personnel now to play with a three-man back line. We didn't have it before. We tried it against Sporting, but we didn't have the personnel. That was not the time to try that. I said I liked it in theory because I like it in theory. We didn't have the personnel to do it. That was not the match to experiment with it. I, I get where they were coming from, and it's a risk. And had it worked, we would have been praising it just like we did at, at the Dragon when the extra, you know, playing with two left backs worked. I get that. But you can only get lucky so many times. And you know what? That practically did work. If if Vlacodimos makes the correct decision there and either stays on his line or comes out and catches that ball, rather than parrying it right to a Sporting player, we don't lose that game and we're probably saying, hey, let's go, three-man three, three back line the rest of the way. Um, I don't think it's it should be thrown away yet. I think it should be tried once Verissimo is in the side. Maybe we try it in the, in the second leg of the Taça de Portugal or something like that first. But... This team is just not built well, and this president does not know how to build a football team. And what he's done in 18 years is surround himself with nothing but yes people. And I've said this before. I'm getting tired of saying this. Why is this? It it it, it baffles me that this guy is still the president of this club, considering how embarrassing it has been recently. This club is supposedly in good financial place, and... This is the best we can do. Our two rivals are in financial dire straits, and they're, you know, they're beating us handily. We're eleven points behind a, a team that's made up mostly of kids, and and well, let's let's be honest, so, uh, including a player that we discarded, and we're looking up at them. Eleven points, eleven points at the midway point of the season. It's unacceptable. And I don't need Rui Costa going on TV 
to to do that. Okay, what we need is a real, actual action from the board, real action from the director of football, from the vice president of football, and like so many other, I I call for the resignation of Luis Felipe Vieira. It isn't going to happen, but I call for it. And don't tell me how good we were before, how how bad we were before him. And don't tell me how much great he's done and that we're going to go back to that. Go do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube. Put in Befica 1994 to 2004. Watch that four-hour video and see what we were like. And see. It'll spook you to how similar it's becoming to that. We're there, ladies and gentlemen. We are in Vietnam once again. And if we don't want this to be a prolonged visit, we need to turn this thing around. George Zouge was brought in not to win the Liga, but to win the election. Do you have any doubt about that now? Has George Zouge looked like he's been in this season? Has he had his heart in this season? Does it look like it to anyone outside of the one match because he was pissed off at Sergio Conceição? Does, does, does anyone honestly look on and say that this manager has his heart in this season? I don't think so. I don't think so. And if he's just getting that now, you know, it's, a, again, too little, too late. It, it's too late when you're 11 points behind to start waking up and start making brave decisions. It's too late. This title is gone. Barring some type of, of miracle, some type of titanic proportion collapse from Sporting, this type is gone. This title is gone, excuse me. And I... Just, I really do not like seeing Rui Costa double down, just like Luis Felipe Vieira. And this, he is not building himself up to be a president I can support. Mm, you know, the first take of this was way more animated. I do apologize, but there I go on 30 minutes again. All right, after this break, we're going to go to the news. There's plenty of it this uh, in this episode. And, um,. We'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica, of course, here on the PTV Media Network. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister and on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And also, uh, don't forget to check out the homepage at www.mrbenfica.com. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós Oh, 
Tamarindo Do Algarve até ao Minho Vermelho, pinta a Tuga E é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso Por direito que não fico Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força Sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora Nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica And in the news of this week We start off with the men's football team Of course and the officialization Or the official presentation of defender Lucas Verissimo the this winter's signing from Santos of Brazil fresh off uh, the Copa Libertadores final uh, if you want to know how that went well check out parking the bus episode 25 that was just released yesterday um it's it's on this feed so go ahead and see how that went um Lucas joins Benfica. Uh, he is a central defender, as as you know, as you probably heard in my rant there in the previous segment. And uh, he will wear Luizão's number four, interestingly enough. Also, uh, breaking news at this time, or as of in the last couple hours, it has been announced uh, and, and partially officialized by, or I should say partially confirmed by UEFA, Benfica's round of 32 tie with Arsenal will be played in neutral stadiums both legs playing in neutral stadiums this is because of travel bans and the because of the the imposition put on by both the uk government and the portuguese government requiring a period of isolation or a period of of containment before before uh, the entering a country and that's just not possible with the football calendar so the Portuguese, so Benfica not able to travel to the UK and Arsenal not able to travel to Portugal. Uh, therefore, Benfica will play their home match, which uh, I have here. They will play their home match on the 18th of February at Rome's Olympic Stadium. So Benfica's home leg will be played in the Olimpico in Roma, obviously in front of an empty stadium. And a week later on the 25th of February, which happens to be the Mr. Yours truly's <laughs> 38th birthday, the 25th of February, and um, it will be Benfica playing against against Arsenal. And according to Avala and according to Portuguese media, that match will be played in Athens, or I should say in Greece, not quite in Athens, right outside Athens in Piraeus, uh, home of Olympiacos at the Georgios Karasakakis Stadium where we all remember Benfica taking a 5-0 thumping about a decade ago. Um, this, however, was posted by Arsenal on their official club page, but according to Yahoo, who has reported in the last hour, that that was taken down, and they have said that UEFA have not confirmed that Arsenal's home leg will take place in 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 that particular stadium or even in Greece for that matter. So um, in the next, I'm sure in the next 24 to 48 hours, this will be finalized and most likely confirmed, in fact, that the match, I would expect it to be played in Greece. Uh, very, very strange. You're going to have, you're going to have a situation where away goals are going to count in a, you know, in a, in a tie where neither team has a home match. Uh, that could be very, very interesting, but, um, yeah, it, it's coming up in, in just a couple of weeks. Two difficult matches, and um, 
further you know, fixture congestion for this team. But that is where it stands right now. Of course, again, this is due to, to government regulations in both countries. And um, in relation to, you know, mandatory quarantines that would have to take place in order for the match to be played. Therefore, uh, the matches will be played in two countries where the teams are free to travel to and from. So it will be played in Italy and in it appears to be Greece. With that, we move on, and we have an update in women's football, which we'll get their own episode in by this weekend, hopefully. Uh, women's football wins again at Fumily Cone this time in round three of the final stage, or the Apuramento du Campeão, as they call it, the, 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 I guess, qualification of the champion. And that uh, was played up north on the, on the artificial surface, a very tough surface, a surface where... Where our rival Sporting did drop two points in round one. Benfica able to win on a early goal from Ana Vitoria, who scored on a heel flick uh, off a cross along the ground from Canadian Chloe Lacasse. And uh, Benfica take the three points. Benfica top of the table after three rounds. I said, you know, after the end of the first stage, that it made sense why Benfica was so experimental in their match against Sporting. Um, because that match turns out not to matter because now we have a whole new stage and Sporting have dropped two points and we're perfect at this point. So through three matches, uh, through three rounds, in Family Cone actually with four played, Benfica are top with nine points. Family Cone have seven. Sporting, I believe, have six right now. Or oh, Sporting have seven as well, excuse me. And um, Benfica holding on to a little bit of a lead here as uh, it will be another 14 match round here for for the I believe they're going to play 14 matches in this final stage to crown a champion in the league of BPI so things are looking up for Benfica women's football so you'll hear about that in their own episode in a Benfica women's uh, football episode coming up later in the week hopefully Benfica's U23s also victorious this past weekend uh, yesterday beating Sporting 2-1 on goals from Rafael Brito and Antonio Silva. Benfica U23s go top of the table in the qualificação, uh, taça revelação bracket. So there's two brackets right now in the under-23s. There's the qualificação, the campeão, and the qualificação, the taça revelação. Excuse me. And um, right now, Benfica lead their bracket, um, and they're looking to get into... The what they call the Tasa Revelation, the you know Revelation Cup. This is called the Revelation League. So they're looking to get into the cup, um, and I believe two teams will advance. I'm not positive on that, but right now Benfica sit top of the table. Uh, and Rafael Brito is one of these kids I really like, and he's a you know a player who can truly play that number six role. And I was really impressed with him in the UEFA uh, Youth League last summer. And I'm looking forward to hopefully him being one of the guys that make their way into our first team. Not, you know, it's not going to be anytime soon. But I hope he he makes the proper progression through U23s, through the B team, gets his, his 50, 55, 60 matches in at the B team. That's two seasons. I think that's perfect. And from there, progresses into the first team. He's a guy I really like, so I, I'm watching him. Now, to the Modalidad. 
Basketball loses once again. This time it's to Porto 80-76. And this was in the Tasa Ugu Santos semifinals, which is the name of the League Cup. No longer called the Tasa de Liga in basketball. Now it's called the Tasa Ugu Santos, but it is in fact the League Cup. It's the same format. Uh, Quincy Miller led the Eagles with 22 points while Tweedy Carter helped out with 19, but it's not enough once again as we find ourselves losing to the Dragons for the second time this season, possibly the third time. I think we might have lost to them in another competition as well. Um, and this time it, it earned Porto a spot in the final that they then won against Sporting, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, no, they lost to Sporting in the final. Sporting lifts the the Tasa Ugu Santos uh, in basketball. Um, and it's, it was just a result in a game that showed right now that in terms of men's basketball, Benfica are clearly the third team at best in, in Portugal right now. And, and this is not acceptable either. And a lot of questions need to be asked of the coach, Carlos Lisboa. And, of course, of, again, this same, pre- we get back to the president again. The football team is in bad shape. The modalidades are struggling, um, by and large. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how the Olympic program's going. God only knows uh, how, you know, how that's going. I'm sure the finances are not where they should be in that, in, in that department either. Um, once you give... You know, someone like Luis Felipe Vieira, an excuse like COVID, you know, he's cutting back. He's cutting. If he's cutting on the men's football team and he's not bringing in the proper transfers, I'm sure he's not properly taken care of. His vice presidents are not properly um, being empowered to take care of their departments and their teams the way that they need to, to live up to the, the expectation and the level that the Benfica name carries. And it's been a very bad season, to be quite honest, um, in terms of basketball for Benfica. Uh, but they're back in league action this upcoming weekend as they will host Bajerens at the Pavilion Fudlidad. Uh, rink hockey follows up their big win a week ago over Sporting at the Juan Rocha. Well, they drop a dud in the following week as they are upset 5-2 to two on the road at Tomar. Futsal beats Viseu. 7 to 1 this weekend in their return to their return from international break. Um, next up for Benfica is tomorrow Wednesday or today if you're listening to this. It is uh, at home to Brunoza and they re- remain a joint top of the league with Sporting both teams with 56 points at this stage. Women's futsal wins a 6 to 1 at the weekend. They beat uh and they stay unbeaten. Men's volleyball rebounds after suffering their first loss of the season on January the 27th in the Azores against the always strong Fonte Bastardo, but they respond by beating Ismorij three sets to one on the 31st of January, and then in the Portuguese Cup, beating Sporting Espinho in three straight sets, three three love um, to advance in that competition, and then on February 3rd, uh, that was on February 3rd, excuse me. And then this past Saturday, back in league action, League A1, it is Benfica winning again in straight sets, three to to love over Viana. And next up is a huge derby at home Wednesday, today, tonight, if you're in Portugal, versus Sporting. Benfica right now top of the table in the league with 39 points, nine more than second place. Sporting. Men's handball was set to resume play after the long break for the World Championships, the World Cup, if you will. Um, 
that just took place in Qatar, if I'm not mistaken, or in Egypt, excuse me, just took place in Egypt uh, the past three weeks. Uh, Portugal finishing 10th in that World Cup. And uh, they were scheduled to resume play on February the 8th against Orta, the Azorian side. But that match was postponed, as has been the previous three league matches. And all these results are brought to you courtesy of SofaScore.com, where I keep up with all of the modalidades. Now, let's go around the Liga Nage and catch the results for round 18 that has now, I believe, concluded. And as I'm pulling them up, I think that round 18 is com- is complete. As t- we have Taça de Portugal action going on now tomorrow and Thursday. But here is the results for round 18. Round 18 got kicked off on Friday. Ye- yes, on Friday. It got kicked off on Friday with Hiwav nil. Sorry, this was round 17. We had two rounds played in four days. So, I, so excuse me, this is round 17. Hiwav nil nil with Nacional. Benfica nil nil with Vitória Guimarães. We're going to talk about that one in the next segment. Maritimo at home zero. Sporting Club Portugal two. Another win. Two goals for for Pot in this one for. For uh, Pedro Gonçalves, as he remains the league leader in goal scores, goal scoring this season, the Portugal U21 international um, is quite the the league's uh, revelation player this season. At the best, as Josualdo Ferreira's Boavista lose two to one to the visiting Gil Vicente, and Pepa's Passos Ferreira out uh, last Tondela two to one. Sunday, February the seventh. At the at the quarry at the Pedreiro, Braga two, Football Club do Porto two, and Porto were ahead two nil late in the match. Braga with two late goals. Porto's goals coming from from Sergio Oliveira from you guessed it the penalty spot. Oh, I spoke ill of them. Guess what? Somewhere, somewhere, I've just been informed that somewhere, even though it's the middle of the night. Uh, Mehdi Taremi has taken a dive onto his couch, and it is a penalty pro Porto. No, this penalty was drawn by Musa Marega, who equally goes down just as easy for one of the biggest guys in the league. But yes, a penalty kick, very questionable to Porto, scored by Sergio Oliveira. I don't know how many he scored now from the penalty spot this season. Second goal in the 54th was from Mehdi Taremi, assisted by Tecatito Corona. And... Francesu would make it 2-1 in the 87th, and then in the 90th, plus four, our old friend, perhaps doing us a favor, maybe indirectly, because Braga is in their own race with us. But it's Nicolas Gatan scoring to make it 2-2. Porto dropped two more points on the weekend. And, of course, they complain about the referee. What else is new? Vitor Bahia had <laughs> Vitor Bahia had had strong words for for the referees, strong criticism and strong criticism of the press. Oh, poor poor Porto! It's just so hard being a Portiche. It's so hard when the referees don't give you enough penalties. I guess. Wham wham wham! Monday, February the eighth, and it is round eighteen, and we have Ferenc. At home, one Morirense travel to Algarve, get two Morirense with the road victory over Farense. 
at the Stade de Luz. The match we'll talk about in the final segment. Benfica 2, Famalicão, nil. In the in Madeira at the Barreiros, it's Maritimo 1, Santa Clara 2. A big win for the Bravos Asurianos in the island derby, or the Battle of the Island Clubs, if you will. And at the Jamor, it's Bulanish Sad 1, Vitória Guimarães 1. And then earlier today, four matches played today. In the Capital do Móvel, it was Passos Ferreira 0, Portimones 0. In Vila do Conde, it was Rio Ave 2, Tondela 1. At the Estadio do Bessa, once again, Josualdo Ferreira's Boa Vista 0, Nacional 1. And Gil Vicente 1, Sporting 2. I ranted about this one earlier in the in the podcast. And that closes out round 18. And I'll read the table at the end of the podcast. It'll also be posted on www.mrbefica.com. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be the news for this week. So, on the other side, we've, we'll start to talk about Vitória Guimarães, or I should say about Benfica, Vitória Guimarães from the Stade de Luz earlier this week on, or I should say last week on Friday, round 17. This is Mr. Benfica. As you know, I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica and Again, check out www.mrbefica.com. And welcome back to Mr. Benfica. As you know, it is episode 106, and we're ready to talk about these two matches. And um, as you also know, because you've probably been uh, listening, we're, we're almost on the one-hour mark already, so I will speed this up. And it is funny this season how quickly news becomes old news. Um, this match was less than a week ago. It was really five days ago, and it's already old news. Uh, it's a nil-nil draw with Vitória Guimarães. And uh, with two more matches coming up this week before before Sunday, or by Sunday, um, there's really not... It, it's moving really fast this season. And um, let's just get right into the lineups for this one. It is Benfica hosting Guimarães, like we said, Vitoria Sport Club. Uh, noticeable, uh, or notable, I should say, is that Vitoria Guimarães, without their normal starting goalkeeper, which is, of course, Bruno Varela, he was cleared to play before the match, but he was not uh, in the 11. He was on the bench for this one. Manager for Vitoria Guimarães is João Henrique. They would play with a 4-3-3 in goal. They had... The in goal they went sorry with the Czech goalkeeper Mateus Termal. He uh, had himself a decent match, but again Benfica very very good at getting uh, opposing goalkeepers good ratings because they literally hit him with shots. They hit the goalkeepers with shots. This was no different. Um, his four his back four. Uh, Sako on the right, Georges Fernandes and Abdul Mumin in the center with Gideon Minsa on the left, the Ghanaian uh, international. In midfield, Andrea Andrea on the right, Miguel Luiz in the center, and Andrea Almeida, the left-sided midfielder, and in attack. The striker is Oscar Estupian. Estupinan, excuse me, Oscar Estupinan. To his right, Ruben Lamedes, and to his left, none other than... Uh, the longtime Portugal international, uh, controversial figure for some, um, 
fantastic player, no doubt about it, uh, throughout his career. Ricardo Quaresma. So Marcus Edwards not in the starting eleven again for for Vitória Guimarães in this one, and it, it it's been sad actually because I thought he was he's a player that was really on a great trajectory, and I think he's kind of been hurt a little bit by the arrival of of Ricardo Quaresma as he's played a lot less this season. Benfica returned to their four four two, and. Um, they they had already decided to to squash the the three the three five two formation, which I I would have stuck with it to be honest with you. I said we don't have the don't necessarily have the staff to do it, but we could have gone with the same three in in interest of consistency. Um, unless of course that's been scrapped altogether, and we're not going to do it this season, even with the arrival of Lucas Verissimo. But anyway, back to a four four two. And you got Odi in goal. Gilberto is the right back. Otamendi and Vertonghen, the center backs. And Grimaldo, the left back. In the hole as the holding midfielder is Ulian Weigel. He's got Pizzi to his right. He's got Cervi back in the starting lineup on the left. And the return of Adel Tarap to the starting 11. So we played with 10, basically. I didn't say that. Up front, Eris Severovic partners with Everton Subolinha, who returns to the starting lineup, which was a little bit of a, of a surprise. Darwin dropped after um, a less impressive uh, matchup against Sporting. And Everton gets the start over Darwin here. And let's, there's not much to talk about. It was a nil-nil draw. Benfica had, a, had chances, but honestly... You can watch the match all you want, and there's very few occasions where they really made the goalie earn a save. Um, Benfica would let you can look at the stats. Benfica winning possession again. You know how much I I love that stat. As Benfica, believe it or not, if you go on FopMob and you look at the league stats, Benfica lead the league in possession, and it shows what it's worth. Uh, Twenty three total shots, <laughs> twenty two chances created, three big chances created. 557 accurate passes. That's because Adel Tarapt made 200 of those himself sideways and backwards. Uh, pass success, 86%. Okay, I said I'm not going to bash. That's the last I say about it. Okay, uh, 86% pass success rate. Again, this looks like a poor man's Barcelona when you're when you got that kind of possession, that kind of accurate passes, that type of pass success, and no goals to show for it. Come on. And again, all these chances and what they call big chances mean scoring chances. I, uh, if you go to the goal point, the expected goals for this match for Benfica was one point eight, which means they should have had at least one. They didn't. But again, for all that possession and all those completed passes, you should have an expected goals of of much higher, of at least two and a half to three goals for this type of of possessional dominance. The reason they had this possession, Kimaraish Vitoria gave it to them. It was part of the 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 strategy. Vitoria played a good game. I thought I was actually impressed with them, and honestly. But if you got lucky not to lose this match, okay? Yes, they were the they played better and they they did more and they were the team looking to win. But near stoppage time, it was Marcus Edwards, the substitute, who should have beaten Odie and should have stolen the three points from Benfica. For to be frankly honest with everybody, Vitória Guimarães should have stolen three points from Benfica in this match because he had the best chance of the match. 
in that play. And again, it it's just an it's just an uninspired Benfica. It's uninspired. And again, like I said, um, also what I should have mentioned off the top, uh, Rafa injured. He was injured after the Sporting game. After all the hacks and whacks he took, he was unable to to be fit for this match. Of course, if if he had a week in between, he maybe he'd he'd miss only one match. But the way we're playing a match every two to three every three days, who knows how many he's gonna miss? But uh, if he got really unable to do anything in this match uh, of note okay and it was it was not just missing goals but it, it's just uninspired play i don't know how else to put it this was Jean de douche uh i assume his last match running the show hopefully um and this is not a, a footballing, hopefully, but from a human standpoint, hopefully JJ is all right now going forward, and he's not infected by this again. Um, again, the the talking point of the match goes back though again to Benfica having a claim for a penalty. Okay, in the PZ, possibly taken down in the area. Now. There is a common theme among Benficistas talking on podcasts. That this isn't a penalty for them. And it's not a penalty for me either. But you know what? It is 2021 and we got to stop applying the interpretation of 1995 or 2000, 2010, whatever, to the penalty kick rule. We are in a different world now. And no, it's. I don't believe it's a penalty. But here's the problem. It's a penalty for somebody else. If PZ had Taremi or Mehdi Taremi on his back, if that was the jersey he was wearing, and he was wearing blue and white stripes, I guarantee you that that is a penalty. The VAR would call it. Nope. It's it's like it's being said. It's going to take, what is it going to take? Breaking a leg to get a penalty kick for Benfica this season? If just half of of the claims for penalty or the legitimate fouls in the area had been called this season. Yes, Benfica have four to six more points than they do, and it's a completely different outlook right now. Now, that doesn't excuse the poor play. I'm not saying that. We got the results we probably deserved. However, in terms of consistency from referees, we are not getting calls that others are getting. And that is where I have a problem with it. And you can see there is fear from these referees in giving a penalty to Benfica for some reason. There really needs to be an independent investigation from an outside source, outside of Portugal, someone who does not give a damn about football, someone who does not give a damn about Pinto da Costa, about Jota Marques, about Vitor Bahia. And they got to look into why there is such a one-sided one-sided story being told from the numbers, not from my opinion, but from the sheer numbers. Have you ever heard of a team that leads the league in possession and leads the league in chances created not having a single penalty after 18 rounds? It's unheard of. The data just does not support that. I don't care who you are. Bring in any independent mathematician and they will tell you that the probability of that is next to none. 
but we go on with no penalties. Befica draw nil-nil. Gilberto named the man of the match despite all the online abuse he takes from Befica's on a daily basis. He ends the match with an 8.2 rating on FOTMOB. And, um, well, you know, two more points lost, like I said. Sporting ha- had already beaten Maritimo. So it's an 11-point gap between us and Sporting. And we fall to five points behind Porto. So we'll move forward quickly now. And we will go to Monday's match against Fumley Combe. Okay. And it is Benfica versus Fumley Combe. And again, we're at the Stadio de Luz. It's round 18. It's the start of the second half of the season. Remember, in the reverse fixture, we won 5-1 to one in convincing fashion in Villanova's Fumley Combe. Um, not so convincing in this one, although we started brilliantly. Let's look at the lineups in this one. Uh, Fumley Count playing in a 3-5-2 under their new manager, Seelish. And he has he, he debuts goalkeeper uh, Luis Jr. Uh, in, place of, in place of the normal goalkeeper who has been uh, Vana. Vana, our, the former Porto backup. And our former uh, backup... Zlobin relegated to third goalkeeper once again as he was with us. It's not looking like there's much of a future in Portugal for for Zlobin, and and that's kind of sad because I I, I seem to like him personally. Uh, I thought you know from everything we could see from him through the television and whatnot, he seemed like a good team guy and a good locker room guy, and hopefully he he does figure it out and he does find himself a home somewhere where he can get regular minutes. Uh, three across the back, Babic, Diogo Queiroz, the Tripeiro, through and through the on-loan Porto central defender, who made sure to fall down at the most key moment of Fumlicão's match against Porto, and allowing Porto to draw, to tie that match 2-2, two to two, remember? And Patrick is the left center midfielder. Five in midfield, a left center Defender, excuse me. Five in midfield. It's Ivo Rodriguez wide on the right. Manel Ugarte, uh, Pepe, our former youth player. And Gilles Diaz in the center with Ruben Vinagre playing wide on the left. So it's two wingbacks, essentially. Ivo Rodriguez and Ruben Vinagre, who is on loan from Wolverhampton Wanderers, if I'm not mistaken. That's still who obtained his rights. Double-check that in a moment. He had spent the first half of the season on loan at Olympiacos in in Greece, and now he is at Fumalico. Yes, he is on loan. He is on loan from Wolverhampton Wanderers. He still belongs to them. And up front, it is another one of our former youth products and B-team players, if I'm not mistaken. It is Eriberto. Double-check that. Yes, <laughs> he was with us up until... Uh, June 2018, July 2018, excuse me, uh, when we finally cut him loose and he went uh, abroad. He's back and he's now with Family Count. And he partners with Edwin Herrera at at the front. And now Benfica with with their normal uh, formation here. You have... Odi Vlacodimos in goal, as always. Gilberto back at the right-back position. He has logged a ton of minutes. Let me tell you, Gilberto has played a lot of minutes this season. Uh, the center-back pairing of Otamendi and Vertonghen. And the left-back is Grimaldo. In midfield, you have Weigel and Taraptigan. 
with Everton playing on the right in this one and Franco Cherdivy on the left. And then the strike pairing is once again Darwin Nunez and Harris Seferovic. And Befica, as we said, fly out of the gates. And I think I really do think a lot of this has to do with JJ being back on the pitch. Um, I think JJ came back with a little bit of an attitude, which is good. He needs that to be the motivator that he can be. Um, I think it wore off quickly, but I think it got them that quick start. And I think JJ's return, and this is not, this is not me becoming a JJ guy. Okay, uh, I feel I've been very fair with JJ throughout the season. Um, yes, I was a, a total fanboy of his last year at Flamengo, but um, since he's been at Benfica, I think I have been very objective in my in my. Uh, evaluation of JJ and I think his return did give this team a little bit of a spark out of the start and it was early it was in the third minute that we got a goal from Darwin Nunez on an assist from Everton Everton seems to be playing better on the right than he plays on the left perhaps this is something that that Mexico will continue to do going forward but where do you fit in PZ well I know where to fit him you fit him in right with with Ulian Weigel, like you did at the Dragon. That is the best center center mid pairing we have right now, especially with the arrival of Lucas Verissimo. If um, if he slots into that back line, whether it's a three or a four, you don't need Weigel to play so deep that um, in that situation. Now you have a ball playing passing central defender coming out of the back. Uh, who would come out for him to go in? Well, I, I hope it's not Altamendi, but I don't want it to be Vertonghen either. So honestly... At this point, if he's going to come in, who knows what type of fatigue Lucas Verissimo is bringing with him, having had a long season already um, as they're winding down in Brazil. Um, who knows what what his fitness level he's at, uh, if, if he's going to be a factor this season or if they're going to hold off till next season before they work him in. I think... Um, I really think this, this back line is made to be three. The problem is... Uh, that makes Weigel the backup central defender, but I, I'm okay with that. You also got Samadish who can absolutely fill in in a minute's notice uh, for that position, and they need a role for Samadi. She's an important guy in that locker room, and uh, for whatever reason, he's not playing. I think JJ has gone on the record and said it's something to do. He he picks up knocks, and he's he's not been healthy, and that's partially why Samadi's is struggling so much to get playing time. But he certainly can be a central defender. And um, it, it, I guess you got to roll the dice at this point also because you're 11 points back and you need to, you need to get maximum points. And I think people say that the 3-5-2 that the is overly defensive because it turns into a 5-3-2. But the truth is that all depends on the opponent. And that all depends on how well you play. An attack. If you have the ball, like Benfica, if you have the ball the way Benfica do in ninety percent of these matches, if you're possessing the ball for sixty six percent, there is no reason to have four defenders. There is absolutely no reason for it. That's another reason I like this formation. Maybe it's not the right formation against Braga, Sporting, and Porto, or even Vitoria. Maybe that's the case, and maybe you reevaluate it in those games. But Against Famalicão, against Nacional, against against uh, Moreirense, it's absolutely, I think, the way to go because now you got your two wide wingbacks able to move up higher. They're able to play higher where they like to play. They're able to contribute more offensively, which is what they both want to do. 
and you still have a nice back three with a good holding midfielder that can quickly flex into a back four if need be. Now they need to work on the processes. They need to work on the movements. They need to work on the coverage. Yes, you don't learn a formation or you don't perfect a formation in one match. You don't just throw it away after one loss, in my opinion. I think with the personnel we have to take a best advantage of all the players we have, I think the 3-5-2 takes it uses the strengths of more players than this formation does. Would somebody be left out? Probably. It leaves little room for someone like Luca Waldschmidt, who I think is, is injured right now, or who who has picked up a knock, and I'm looking right now if he was even on the bench for this match. And Waldschmidt was not on the bench for this match. No, he was not. And, um, I mean... It's just, yeah, you will have some players miss out, but I think to get the most out of the players you have, and we don't have an overly deep team, but to get the most out of what we have, I think we need to give it another go in that three-five-two. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but it's it needs to be it needs to be worked at a little bit more. I don't. I think it's too soon to give up on something that I think could really. Um, it could get us a lot more bodies going forward. We could play with more people in the f- in the front half of our midfield in in our into our attack, and I think we could get more out of each player in that formation. That's just my personal opinion. I like it. It's not. A, it's actually not a system I ever played as a coach. So I'm 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 looking at this solely as a fan. But watching all the German football I've watched in the last you know year and a half, watching the South American football I've watched. It's a very, very commonly used system now, and it is it can be very offensive in nature. But it also gives you the flexibility that if you're up against it, it's easy to drop the two wingbacks, and you can fall into a 5-3-2 a if you need to, or a 5-2-1-1, uh, whatever. You know, it, it gives you a lot of flexibility. You can give the opponent so many different looks. And uh, I think you can really do a lot more than you can with this old-fashioned English four-four-two that that JJ plays with. And it's not even—they don't, in my opinion, they don't even play it well. They don't really make a diamond the way they should. And I think that uh, Benfica would be much better served. That's just my my opinion. Fast forward to the seventh minute, and it is a free kick down the left. And it, what looks like is going to be a cross for Alex Grimaldo. Grimaldo just steps on the ball and allows Adele Terap to have a right-footed shot from a tight angle. And, and Terap hits this well. This ball has has quite the dip on it. It's on a line, and then it dips and skips hard off of the grass. Uh, the goalkeeper makes a, a junior makes a nice save, but he parries it right. To right, literally right onto the foot of Nicholas Otamendi at the far post, and Otamendi makes no mistake about it. And the Argentina international scores his first goal as a Benfica player, and you could just see the excitement in his face. And let me tell you, um, I do have to say this on the record, okay? Those of you that may have listened to episode, I think it might have been forty-nine, the one where I watched. The old when I did a watch along with the old match, it was a Benfica Porto. The 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 match 
just after Ozebu's passing when there was 11 Ozebu's. I said some really nasty things about Nicolas Otamendi when he was playing for a different team. Nico, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I ever said anything like that about you. You are not a horrible defender. You are the heart and soul of this Benfica team right now. How ever strange that is to say that is the reality. And I'm not the only one saying this. I've been on the Otamendi boat the whole way, but I'm not the only one seeing this now. Um, mine eyes have seen the light, as so many others have. And uh, you can go to the social media. You can go. And he's no longer being called uh, the, the, the traitor, the the mole, whatever you want to call him. Uh, you know, the, the, the imposter, the Porto, you know, Someone that was implanted by Porto to, to destroy her. No, no. This guy has defended Benfica through and through. He is the ultimate professional. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew exactly what he needed to do to earn the support and the respect of the most diehard Benfica supporters. And I believe deep down he has done that. And I hope... That he, he he has been phenomenal the last five matches, okay, five to six matches, and I hope he keeps this form up. And I hope to God that George Zouz does not drop him for Lucas Verissimo, okay. That would not be a well timed change right now. This guy means too much to this team. He's carrying this team right now. He puts in a man of the match performance in this in this one, and it's not a good thing that our defenders are getting a man of the match so often. But he puts in. Another great performance. He wears our jersey with so much class and so much honor. He knows the legacy. He knows the grandeur of the club he is representing. Maybe he knows it because he's represented the rival and he knows exactly what he used to work against and what he he knows exactly what he was told to hate. He he knows exactly how the rival thinks. And I think he's invaluable to this team. He is absolutely 100% um, right now the leader of this team. If you don't believe that, take a closer look. He is absolutely leading by example. And I'm not, I don't think I'm getting carried away. I don't think I'm overblowing it. Ever since the Super Cup, he's been on a different level. And as long as he keeps this up, he has to stay in this lineup. And uh, again, his comments at the end of the match were just what I needed to hear, what we all needed to hear. He, unlike our president and unlike our board and unlike our administration, he says we're going through a bad phase and we need to change our mentality. He's not saying we're unlucky. He's not saying we don't deserve this or whatever. He is. He recognizes that we're lacking a mentality. This guy is incredibly important to this team right now. And as I continue to lose my voice, we're going to get through the rest of this episode. Benfica a go up 2-0 in the seventh minute. It looked like it could have been a route. It looked like we could have got four or five, but the level drops almost. You know, By the 20th minute, the level had severely dropped off. Um, a lot of missed passes in this one. A lot of missed opportunities. And then at the end, it, it, again, we look horrible in the final quarter of an hour of matches. Uh, that's something that really needs to be addressed, that really needs to be corrected. 
Um, we can't run out of gas this fast. I know we're playing a lot of matches and we don't have time to train, but we we got to take better care of ourselves. We got to do it somehow, okay? Uh, I don't think this team is taking good care of itself. I really don't. I don't think we would have had the type of of you know complete wipeout of COVID the way we did if the players were doing what they were supposed to. That's just a personal inclination. I don't know for sure, but I have a hard time believing that they're doing what they're supposed to. And and I know they spend all this time together, so when one gets it, it spreads everywhere. But it just it just seems like you know it it, it was a outbreak like we're not seeing at other clubs of our dimension but i don't know how well these players are taking care of themselves they they lack energy they lack fitness uh and it can't just be from too many matches because we're still at the midway point of the season we got a long way to go okay and uh it's it, i don't know i don't have the answers i'm not in there to see and to, to to speculate what's happening i don't have any data to go off of i'm just going based completely on the visual but the second half was quite poor. A lot of missed passes again. And let's take a look now. Um, of course, the stat sheet's going to say otherwise. But again, of the pa the key passes are the ones we're missing. We're missing every pass where there is the slightest, or not every, but the passes we do miss, we're missing where the pressure is augmented, where there is higher pressure. It's in the final third. It's the final delivery that we continue to be missing. As the match goes on, especially, and then our strikers lack all kinds of confidence, in part because they're not getting, you know, as good a delivery as they could. But we look at the the stats in possession goes to Benfica fifty nine point two percent to forty percent, um, fourteen total shots, thirteen chances created, four big chances is what they're calling it. Uh, again, four hundred ninety five accurate passes. That is a lot. That's a lot of sideways and backwards passed by everybody. Okay, you can easily rack up you know, insane amounts of numbers in accurate passes and have a great high pass success rate when you take, you know, high percentage passes and you really don't risk. Now, for as much as I critique and criticize Adel Tarapt, he's not shy to make that high-risk pass. Neither is Gabriel. Um, they like to make the vertical pass more. They they miss more than they make, but they do make the attempt. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, I think, where... You can connect all the passes you want, but when the pass is not delivered at the key moments in the key parts of the pitch, well, then this is just another statistic that doesn't mean much. It's it's just like possession. It doesn't mean much without context. And if all of these accurate passes are in your are from your center back to your holding mid and your holding mid to your right back and your right back to your center back, you know, you can get all kinds of impressive numbers, but it's not really producing anything. And I think Befica is guilty of some of this. And we go through some more of the statistics here. Um, Benfica with 22 fouls committed. I have liked ever since the Porto match, we have committed a lot more fouls. That's a good thing. We need to fight. We need to commit fouls. There are times in the match you have to commit a foul to stop a counter, to to just you know impose a little bit of authority in the match. Make the guy think twice about trying to split two of your players next time. Make your opponents think a little more. Uh, I think that's an important thing. So I'm glad to see the the total the foul tally go up. Now these fouls have to happen in in you know in uh, optimal 
areas of the pitch. You don't want these fouls, obviously, in the penalty area or anywhere there or abouts. So, again, intelligence has to come into play. This is three points that we desperately needed, but like I said, there's a little bit of an empty feeling. Uh, Odie had five saves in this match. He also had a high rating. Um, let's go to the table now. As I said, round 18 is completed. So the leaders, who nobody would have picked this at the beginning of the season, but it is well-deserved, I have to admit, and everybody who is honest will admit that uh, Spartan top of the table, 48 points, 15 victories, Three defeat, three draws. Excuse me. Thirty-eight goals for, and ten against. Second place right now is Football Club do Porto with forty points. They are eight back of the leaders, and I don't know the last time they were eight. Well, I do know. I take that back. I do remember the last time they were eight back. Uh, let's forget about that. Uh, forget I ever said that. Third place, Sporting Braga right now on thirty-seven points. The same as us, but they have the head-to-head. And as of this year, it has been... I have discovered that as of this year, the Liga Nage has changed uh, a little bit about the tiebreaker. In the past, the head-to-head tiebreaker only took effect after both matches have been played. Now, the tiebreaker is in effect anytime there is a match played between the two teams. So, Benfica fourth right now. Also on 37, 11 back from the leaders and three back from second place, which is very becoming very important. And we do need to really keep our sights set on Porto, and we do have to catch them. Uh, we got to just get the maximum amount of points, really, and not worry about what other teams are doing, to be perfectly honest with you. If we worry about what other teams are doing, we're going to drop more points because we're not focused on what we need to do. We haven't afforded ourselves the luxury of being able to worry about what other teams are doing. So for the next, we got 16 matches left to play. We need to go in and focus solely on our own job. That's my my opinion on that one. Fifth place right now in a Europa conference spot is Passos Trajeda, 35 points. They're four ahead of Vitori Gimaraj, who have a match in hand. However, Vitori Gimaraj has played only four matches. I'm uh, sorry, has played only 17 matches, and they're four points back. Uh, they have a match with Ferenc that needs to be made up. Seventh place right now belongs to Santa Clara, 25 points there. Six back of Vitori Gimaraj. Morirense is eighth with 24. Ninth is Nacional with 21. Riuav, 10th with 18. With 19, excuse me, Tondela, 11th with 18. Maritimu are 12th on 17. Same for Bolinus. Sad Code City, maybe the future, uh, soon to be called uh, Grandolens. We'll see. Uh, they have 13 points. Uh, they have 13, sorry, they're, they have 17 points in 13th place. Gil Vicente are 14th with 16. Portimonense. 15th also with 16. They're too clear of 16th place who currently hold the relegation playoff spot. That's Boavista. They're managed, of course, by Josualdo Ferreira. Um, they have 14 points, the same as 17th place Fumlicão. Fumlicão, however, with, uh, I'm assuming, with the inferior head-to-head. Uh, because they and they also have an inferior goal difference. So if they drew when they played each other, it is the goal difference that's telling the difference. And in 18th place right now is Sport Club Ferenc out of the Algarve with 13 points. Let's quickly take a look here at the leaders before we go. 
and Sporting's Revelation Pot, better uh, known by us as Pedro Gonçalves, but every commentator more and more is calling him by his nickname Pot. He's got 14 goals, way ahead of everybody else right now, uh, and none from the penalty spot. Uh, second right now is the uh, well. He he's got to start training for the Olympics soon, I would think, uh, for the Iranian diving team. But it's Mehdi Taremi. He's got eight goals, as does Sergio Oliveira. But Sergio Oliveira has five from the penalty spot. Seferovic is fourth with seven. He's got none from the penalty spot either. And our future striker, Rodrigo Pinho, also has seven. He's in fifth, along with Thiago Santana, who's now playing in China. But he's still in fifth place with seven goals. Uh, Luca Waldschmidt, Musa Marega, Oscar Estupinian, and Douglas Tank have six, as does Ricardo Horta. Uh, they all have six goals between 7th and 10th, or 7th and 11th, excuse me. And then a whole slew of players with five after that. We look quickly at assists, and here's how the assist leaders look right now in the Liga Nage. I'm not going to look at the penalties awarded. That's what came up next. Now, assists, Darwin Nunez, our Darwin is still top of the league in assists with six assists, none of them off of a set piece. He's one ahead of Tecatito Corona. And then a whole list of guys, some 15 or so with four assists. All right, my voice is shot. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you for sticking with me this long. Um, I'll be back with the women's episode soon. We also got a Tasa show hopefully dropping tomorrow, if not tomorrow, uh, by the time Benfica kick off. Uh, well, Benfica's kicking off for you tomorrow uh, by the time you hear this, but hopefully soon I can have a Tasa show episode and a women's football episode dropping, you know, in fairly uh, close succession to each other. Thank you for listening. This has been Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agostinho reminding you to check out the Parking the Bus podcast where you get your podcast. Just put in Parking the Bus PTV or you can just uh, sample some of the episodes that I have uh, uploaded to this feed. Hope you enjoy it. Um, it's my other project that I'm going on with and working hard at. So I do appreciate uh, I do appreciate all the support from all of you. Thank you again. I'll see you in the next episode. This has been Mr. Benfica, a production of the PTB Media Network, and I am signing off for this week for this episode. This has this is the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Take it easy, everybody. Cajega Benfica, Forza Benfica. Let's get to the Champions League at least. <laughs> See you next time.